Well, good morning, church. Uh, I wanna invite you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. It's towards the back of the New Testament, but that's probably irrelevant information for you because you're just gonna swipe through, you're gonna type it in and find it. But if you do have an old school physical paper Bible, um, you're gonna find 1 Peter, 2 Peter, all those, just go a little bit the other way. And then you'll find 1 John and Jude and Revelation. And so look in that area towards the back of your Bible and, and you'll find it there. And I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. You can find that in the Version Bible app. Well, 1 John is where we're gonna be today. And before really we launch into the, this book for the next 11 weeks or so, I, I wanna give us some bearings on the book and the author. Who is John? And why did he write this letter? And so when you think about the first disciples of Jesus, um, you might think of maybe the first names that come to mind are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the New Testament gospel writers. But think with me for a second, between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only two of them were actually eyewitnesses to the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. Uh, Mark and Luke were not there. Uh, Mark learned from Peter. Uh, Luke did, got his <laughs> information for the gospel of Luke through research and interviews and, and all of that. Only Matthew and John were really eyewitnesses to the things Jesus said and did. And so between Matthew and John, John was called to follow Christ before Matthew. John is one of the first disciples of Christ um, in, in the records that we have. Peter and Andrew were called first, those brothers, and then James and John. So how did John become a follower of Jesus? Well, you can see this in the Gospel of Matthew um, in chapter four. There's one day there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, there's a man named Zebedee. It's a fun name to say. Kids at home, if you wanna say Zebedee, you can say Zebedee. Zebedee, he is out uh, with his sons, running their very successful, flourishing fishing business. James and John are his sons, brothers. Uh, they're out there mending the nets. They're checking on the boats. Their big, awesome beards are probably flowing in the breeze from the Sea of Galilee. And then Jesus walks up to them. And Jesus sees them and says, come and follow me. And these guys drop their nets and go with Jesus. And when Jesus says, follow me, that, that follow me really does mean, come and learn from me. Come and learn what I'm going to do. Come where I'm going to go and where I'm going to take you. Come and learn from me. Come and be like me. Come and imitate me. And John and his brother James leave the family business behind and they jump in with Jesus. Jesus probably told them the same thing he had just told Peter and Andrew, another set of brothers, that he had just told them, come with me and I will make you fishers of men. So this is what James and John have been called into. I'm going to teach you, Jesus says, how lives are changed, how people will get into the kingdom of God. John, he goes. Now, this wasn't the first time John and, and Jesus meet. 
um, we can connect a couple of verses and some of the gospels. And if we connect these verses, um, we see that Jesus and John are actually cousins. John's mother is sister is a sister to Mary, Jesus's mother, making Jesus and John cousins on their mother's side. So for John to see his cousin come up to him, I'm sure he heard stories about his cousin. And now him coming up saying, follow me, John's in. And we see this in 1 John verse one. So look with me at 1 John one and look at what the apostle John writes. What was from the beginning beginning of Jesus' ministry, their encounter with Jesus. Look, what we have heard and that we there is, I think all the disciples, this is what he's talking about. What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That's Jesus. So this is kind of an intro into everything that John's gonna write about in this book. And he's saying from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, what we heard, what Jesus taught, Sermon on the Mount, upper room discourse, his parables, we have all kinds of things that Jesus taught. What we've seen, his miracles, his healings, his stopping storms with the word, his walking on water, his casting out demons. What we've observed, the effects of Jesus' ministry. What we've touched, John's saying this was not just mental visions and dreams. This was real life, all barreling and all concerning the word of life, Jesus Christ. So here's, here's what John's saying to the, all these churches he's writing to, which we'll talk about in a second. What, and what he's saying to, to you and me right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is saying, church, I know my stuff about Jesus. I know what he said. I know what he did. And, and not only that, I, I hugged him. I, I ate with him. I hung out with him. I sat next to him at the final supper before he was crucified. And, and the reason why John is kind of front-loading 1 John with these things is because what's happening to the churches he's writing to, to the audience of 1 John. The churches that he's writing to, which is probably a network of churches throughout the ancient city of Ephesus, which is in modern day Turkey, they are, they are being confronted with false teachers. People trying to lead them astray from the teachings of Jesus and Jesus himself. A group has broken off from the church. They, they were apart, but now they have snapped off, left this network of churches, and now they're teaching false things about Jesus. And now they're elevating themselves over John, saying John doesn't know his stuff. John doesn't know the real Jesus. John is wrong. We know the real teachings. And John says, no, 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 I've seen it. I've heard it. And I've, I've, I've hugged him. I've been around him. I walked with him. See, what we have in the letter of 1 John is John stepping in to correct and protect the church. So how can he do all this? Well, let's think about who John is. I feel like when we, if you've been a Christian for a while, I feel like that when we think about some of the New Testament writers, who probably comes to your mind first? Paul, he wrote a lot of books. And then after that, what do you think? Maybe Peter, um, he wrote two. 
He influenced Mark, so he gets maybe a little byline, a little hat tip to the Gospel of Mark. And then maybe you think of Luke. Luke actually wrote the most. If you take Luke and Acts together, just the sheer tonnage of everything he wrote there is the most. But I think we need to think about John more. The Gospel of John the revelation of Jesus Christ, the last book of the Bible. And, and this letter, I mean, John has written a lot. So who, who is John Moore? Well, let's think about his experiences with Jesus. I just kind of want to give us a biographical intro into John this morning before we really jump into the book. Who is John? Well, he was in the tighter circle of leadership among Jesus' 12 disciples. If you're familiar with the gospels and if you read these, you see oftentimes uh, while Jesus has the 12 and he's got Simon the Zealot and he's got other guys uh, around, he's in Thomas. He also has times where Peter, James, and John get pulled in. For instance, at the raising of the dead of Jairus' daughter, all the 12 are not invited in, only three, Peter, James, and John. At the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus' glory is shown and his clothes go to bright white and a voice, the Father speaks from heaven and says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. All the 12 are not there. Three, Peter, James, and John. That tighter circle. John was a witness to all these things. John was a witness to the power of Jesus. And I, I couldn't help but think about, do you remember those, uh, those static thingamajigs uh, where you would put your hand on it and, and then eventually it would make your hair stand up or, or just rub a balloon on your head and your hair stands up? Or if you see in movies when people stand behind an airplane and from the, the wind or the, the power of that wind coming off those jets, things getting knocked over, people falling over, that was John's experience with Christ. His hair would have stood up. He would have felt the power and the raw awesomeness of Christ because he's heard it, he saw it, he observed it, he touched it. He saw Jesus turn water to wine. He saw Jesus rebuke a storm. He saw Jesus cast out demons. John saw it all. And in those earlier years of John's life, I, I think we can tell from the Bible that John was kind of a, a, fiery, a fiery guy, a go-getter, a self-starter. I, I don't know what he would have been on the Enneagram, but whatever the self-starter, achiever, uh, trailblazer, let's go kind of thing is, that, that's who he is. So if you know what that is, comment it in the thing, give you a second. All you Enneagram people are like, I know what it is, I know what it is. Go ahead. So the thing with John, I mean, Jesus nicknamed him and his brother James if he nicknamed them sons of thunder. If you're getting a nickname from Jesus, you've got a reputation. He's just calling them sons of thunder because they're out there. They're hard to miss. There's one time when a, a group of people in a town had rejected Jesus and the disciples, wanted them out. And John's idea, sons of thunder, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn this place down? I gotta imagine that Jesus is like, Sons of thunder, here we go again. You guys, no, you don't, you don't get it. And there's another time. John has their mom, James and John, he has their mom go to Jesus and ask, can my sons sit on your right hand in the eternal kingdom? These guys are achievers. They're ambitious. They wanna be out there. They are sons of thunder. And the son of thunder, he was there. When Jesus broke that bread, and said, this is my body, which is broken for you at the cross. 
And John was also there. He saw Jesus raised. He sat right next to Jesus. He even kind of reclined next to Jesus at the Last Supper. And he was there as Jesus lifted up the cup and said, this cup, this is, this is the new covenant of my blood that's gonna be poured out for you at the cross. Drink this and remember me. And John was there in the garden the night before Jesus dies as Jesus is, is crying out to his father. John's there. And John is there as he sees Judas, one of their group, walk up and betray Jesus with a kiss on the cheek as people now come to arrest Jesus. And John sees Peter take out a sword and then try to kill a guy, but cut his ear off. And then John sees Jesus pick up that ear and put it back on the soldier's head. John probably watches from a distance as Jesus is on trial and beaten and mocked. John is there painfully at the foot of the cross as his cousin, as his Lord, as his friend is stripped naked and nailed to a cross. And as Jesus, listen, as Jesus, this, is, this will give you real insight into the friendship and to the connection and the love and trust between Jesus and John. As Jesus is hanging there on the cross, gasping for breath, crucifixion would make it difficult to breathe. You would basically die by, by not being able to breathe anymore. Um, and he looks down and sees John at the foot of the cross. And he sees his mother, Mary. And John, Jesus says to John, John, take care of my mother. And he does. You see this in John chapter 19, verse 26 and seven. You can see this here on, on your screen. John 19, 26, 27. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved, that, that's one way that John kind of used his own uh, nickname there in, in the gospel of John. He calls himself the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved because he felt so loved by Jesus. And he says in 1926, when, when Jesus saw his mother Mary and the disciple he loved standing there, there at the foot of the cross, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. Telling her, look at John like your son. And then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And they understood exactly what Jesus meant. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. It's amazing. Jesus loved and trusted John. Take care of my mother. And church history tells us that he did care for her until Mary died of old age there in Jerusalem. After Jesus died, John watched as Jesus was taken down from the cross and buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. But then, but then on Easter Sunday, like we just celebrated, John who's been with Jesus through all of this, John hears Jesus has risen from the dead. And, and John can't fathom it. He and Peter, after he hears this, he and Peter run toward the tomb, sprint. And this is in John chapter 20. Our, our family read this section in John 20 and on, on Sunday morning. And Ivy laughed out loud at this part because John writes in the gospel of John chapter 20, you can look it up later. He writes, Peter and the other disciple himself ran towards the tomb and the other disciple got there first. 
He puts in the eternal word of God, the everlasting word of God now, Peter, I beat you to the tomb. That's a son of thunder. And I love, there was a meme I saw on uh, Instagram or something this week that you can imagine Peter and, and John getting to the tomb at the same, you know, John waiting for Peter there and they get there and, and John saying, hey, I beat you, Peter. And Peter says, no one will ever know that you beat me. And John leans in and says, everyone will know. There they are at the tomb. Christ has risen. They're blown away. They saw the risen Jesus eventually and they walked with him and talked with him for 40 days. They hung out with him. They worshiped. I mean, John now worships Jesus as his great God and savior. And John wants to stir that in us too through this book. And after Easter Sunday, after John fellowshiped with Jesus, Jesus, this is in Acts 1, Jesus tells John and all the disciples, you will be my witnesses in this whole area, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and you will be my witnesses to the whole earth. So go. And they watch, John watches as Jesus ascends back to heaven. And then what do we see from John? We see John and Peter in the beginning of the book of Acts healing a paralyzed man together. We see John and Peter preaching in the temple. We see John and Peter in Acts 4 arrested and told, stop talking about the name of Jesus. And John and Peter in Acts 4 respond, we are not going to stop talking about what we've seen and what we've heard. And then John and Peter are released and John keeps doing just that, telling everyone about what he has seen and heard from his cousin, from his Lord, from his savior, Jesus of Nazareth. John becomes a recognized pillar of the Jerusalem church by the apostle Paul in Galatians 2. He calls John a pillar of the church. And eventually persecution intensifies in the early church. Herod, one of the rulers who was put in charge to be over Israel by the Roman empire, he ramped up his persecution of the church. And Acts chapter 12 tells us that he kills James by the sword, John's brother. Persecution hits the church. A son of thunder loses his brother. Only one son of thunder left now. But John keeps thundering. He writes the gospel of John calling people to believe in Christ, wanting to make converts for Christ. And he writes letters to encourage those converts like you and me and all the churches he writes to. And as time goes on, as decades go on, John ministers to the churches. And eventually he gets persecuted and exiled to an island called Patmos. And this is where he receives the book of Revelation and a vision, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Then John's released from exile and church history tells us that he actually lives in Ephesus, ministering to a network of, of churches there. And, and now in his old age and, and from all from his being a son of thunder, John's message became boiled down to really one word, love, love. Love God, love one another. This is the message of John. This is the essential message of 1 John. In his old age, 
even. Barely could walk. A church historian, church father, Jerome, wrote for us that they, men, young men would carry the apostle John into their church meetings. Can you imagine that? They, imagine, there you are a second generation, maybe third generation follower of Christ. You've never seen Jesus. You've never heard his voice. You've only heard the gospel. You've heard the stories. You've heard the apostles' teachings passed down from other preachers and teachers. And then they bring in the apostle John. They bring in an eyewitness. They bring in an original OG disciple of Christ. They're bringing him here what a, I mean, he walked with Jesus. He, he, he walked with him all over Israel. They probably had all kinds of crazy and fun and mind-blowing, faith-igniting stories to tell. What is John going to tell? Old Apostle John going to tell this young church. Church history tells us what his message was when he was brought in. He would say, you can imagine the room came to a hush. As the Apostle John would speak, he would just say, Little children love one another. From a son of thunder to now a child of God with a simple message to every other child of God. Little children love one another. That's the heartbeat of this letter. And you're gonna get to hear from John too. John is being live streamed into your house. So you can, by the, I mean, by the power of the Holy Spirit, these words from John are gonna come to us with the same power and authority of the risen Christ himself, calling us to respond in love, to respond to his cross, to respond to the life of Christ. And so that's John. What about this letter? Why does he write this letter? I'm gonna give you just a few verses real quick that John tells us why he wrote this letter. He writes this letter to these churches for a few reasons. Let me list them off for you. You can, you can write them down or you see them on the screen. First John 1, 4. Here's why he wrote the letter of First John. We are writing these things, you see, so that our joy may be complete. John wants the church to walk in right belief and right behavior. This is an underlying thread in, in First John. He wants us to believe the right things about God and about Christ and so that then we will live the right way. And knowing that, John says, that's gonna bring me joy. And listen, that brings every mature Christian joy. That brings your pastor's joy to know and to see, and I hope it brings you joy to know and see other Christians believing the truth, loving the truth, and living the truth. And you gotta have both of these. This is the only way it works to believe the right things about God. And then that causes us to live them rightly and to follow Jesus rightly, thinking rightly about Jesus and living rightly for Jesus. That, that's John's heartbeat. Second, second reason why John wrote this book, it's in 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. He wants us to walk in holiness. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. He doesn't want us to live like the world. He wants us to follow and, and he wants us to obey the Lord Jesus. Next one, here in 1 John 2, 26 
third reason for why he wrote this book, this is a huge one. I think it's one of the main kind of driving factors for why John wrote 1 John. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. He knows there are people attacking these churches and he wants to guard them from false teaching. You can kind of tell by the letter what's being taught and we'll see this over the coming weeks. The people are teaching Jesus. Jesus is a real person. He's a real man, but he wasn't the Christ. He wasn't God's Messiah. Good guy, but not the Lord. And John steps into right and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm gonna tell you what I've seen, what I've heard, what I've observed about the word of eternal life. Jesus is the Christ. I was there. Also, you can tell people are probably teaching that Jesus didn't really have a body. Sure, he was God. Sure, he's some kind of deity, but he didn't have a body. Because back then, you gotta think about in this time period, a lot of people viewed physical, material things, especially like our bodies, viewed them as sinful and as disgusting. And so how could a divine being take on a body if it's gross and defiled? Well, John's gonna step in and say, he did have a body. And this is critical for us because maybe you're at home thinking, well, why does that matter? Who cares? If Jesus didn't have a body, how could he die for your sins? If Jesus didn't have a body, how could his blood be shed to cover and pay for your sins? If Jesus didn't have a body, then he couldn't be raised from the dead. So you see, Jesus having a body is huge, essential teaching of your faith and of mine. Others were teaching something called adoptionism, that Jesus only became God at his baptism. That's when he became God, denying the eternal nature of the son of God, that he is truly God. And you're gonna see all these things in the coming weeks. So John says in 1 John 2, 26, I've written these things concerning those who are trying to deceive you to say, don't listen to these people. Remember what I've taught you. I was there. I taught you the way of Jesus. And there's a lot of false teaching about Jesus today, isn't there? And we wanna make the real Jesus known. And we can relearn it all from the apostle John. In fact, a lot of what John is gonna teach here in 1 John, you will find it originally in the words of Jesus and the gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17. A lot of the things that John teaches, they're, they're from Christ. And he's reiterating those things to them and to us. Lastly, John writes this letter. He says in 1 John 5, 13, here's why he wrote. I have written these things to you, to you who believe in the name of the son of God. Listen, so that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants you to have assurance of faith. John, want, John wants you to know if you really do know Jesus. He wants you to know what you have in Christ. He wants you to remember who Jesus is. He wants you to remember how to live for Jesus. He wants you to follow Jesus till the end. He wants you to know if you've been born again, he wants you to know you have eternal life. Your sins are forgiven. He doesn't want any Christian to struggle with, am I really saved questions any longer? John, John was there with Jesus through it all. And he looks at us now and he says in the introduction of 1 John, verse three, look at what he says. So this life was revealed. He goes on to say, he says, but listen, what we've seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, 
Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. See what John is saying? He says, I'm writing this to you so you can have fellowship with me and the other apostles. And because we fellowship with God. Here's what John's saying so simply. You can have a real, vital, life-changing community with God. You can really know God. John says, the way I have. Yes, he saw Jesus face to face. Yes, he walked with Jesus. Yes, all of those things. But John says, guess what? You can be invited into this fellowship too. When you read and you hear and you see by faith and you believe in trust, you believe in Christ, the King of Kings, you can have fellowship with him. God can be real to you. Jesus can be your best friend. Jesus is real. The crucified Christ, the reigning Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, almighty God, his door stands open to you, inviting all of us, come and have fellowship with me. Come and have friendship with me. Come and know me. You can know God. He is the light. You can know God. He is love, John will tell us. And you can know and serve his kingdom too. That's First John. Learning again how to have an honest Christianity. So let's read the book of First John. We're gonna read the whole thing. It's only five chapters. It won't take us long. The churches that John wrote to, they would have heard the letter this way. Sometimes the way we do sermon series where we read a verse and I, I talk, somebody talks about it for 30 minutes, that is not how the early church would have originally heard, heard these things. They would have heard the whole letter in their entirety and then they would have begun to break it down as, as they go. So we're gonna do the same thing here on the live stream. Follow along in your Bibles. Um, the words are not going to pop up on your screen. So if you need a, I don't know if you know this, you can pause the live stream. You can go grab a Bible or you can use your, your phone or whatever. I'm gonna be in 1 John. Or we're gonna be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. So just listen and enjoy. And, and I hope you respond. And maybe you even come to faith this morning in hearing the words of the Holy Spirit through our brother, the son of thunder, Jesus' cousin, the Apostle John. So beginning in chapter one, verse one, the Apostle John says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was also revealed to us what we've seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet, we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light 
as he himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the whole world. This is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God has been made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old command that you have heard from the beginning. The old command is the word you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light, but hates his brother or sister, is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, since your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have conquered the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you have come to know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have come to know the one who is from the beginning. And I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. God's word remains in you. You have conquered the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. By this, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it 
And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? If not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. What you've heard from the beginning is to remain in you. If what you have heard from the beginning remains in you, then you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And that is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. I have written these things to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie. Just as it has taught you, remain in him. So now, little children, remain in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has given us, that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or know him. Children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin because his seed remains in him. He's not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. 
we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children. And you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and we testify that the father sent his son as the world's savior. Whoever, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. 
And the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. And this love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. His commands, his commands are not a burden because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement if we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that he's given about his son. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. And the one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have before him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. If anyone sees a fellow believer committing a sin that doesn't lead to death, he should ask and God will give life to him to those who commit sin that doesn't lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I am not saying he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin that doesn't lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not sin. But the one who is born of God keeps him and the evil one does not touch him. 
We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. And we are in the true one. That is in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. This is God's word. Let's pray together. King Jesus, you are the true one. And we are in you if we confess today that you are the Christ and you have come in water and you have come in blood. You have come in the flesh to be our savior. And this is how we know that we are in you, that we love God and we love our brothers and sisters and that we want to keep your commandments. And not only that we want to keep them, we do keep them. Eliminate any illusions of, for people today, Lord, that think they're Christians and they're not. They're just Christian in name, but not in action, not in power, not in reality. You are real, Jesus. And so we, we come before you today, submitted to your word, coming to you in prayer, in your name. Help us. Teach us. Help us to see that we may know that we are in you. Teach us these things from 1 John so that we will not sin. Teach us these things from 1 John so that, so that we will be able to withstand any evil, false, wrong views of Jesus and cling to the real Christ so we can have fellowship with you today, right now, Jesus. We thank you for your word. And may, may we keep ourselves right now from idols, from anything that we would look to other than you, Christ, the true one in whose name we pray, amen.